Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places, many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me See Me Podcast. And today I've got, um, uh, he's already got me all nostalgic because he's, he's a Scotsman. He's got a military background and we've had a little chat and he just reminds me of my dad talking to me about uh, about his, war, his, his uh, military stories and things. So he's already got me going. Uh, today I'm talking to Paul Bogey and he's the author of Heroin Hero. How are you today, sir? Hello, Stuart. Thanks for chatting with me today. <laughs> um, I'm going to go straight in, mate. Um, it's a fascinating story and you need to start at the beginning. So tell me about the story behind the book. Yeah, so I'm from Edinburgh, or as some of you may or may not know, with a Scottish accent. Yeah, so I'm Edinburgh born. Um, my mum had four boys, had a good upbringing. My parents were strict. We knew the difference between right and wrong very early on. Um, sort of a normal upbringing. Um, I was in a gang from a very early age. And the way that comes about is that everybody at school, all the lads at school, off at night time, we're all staying in the same council estate. So at night time, we go out and we're playing football. And then we start smashing windows. Then we start lighting fires. Then we start being unruly within the community and stuff. And it's a gang. You know, that's what it was. There was drugs on the scene very early on. A lot of alcohol. The age varied within the gang. So, you know, I'm at primary school and there's some members of the gang that are 18, 19 right. they can go to the off-licence and buy bottles of Buckfast and Mad Dog 2020 and they can bring it and sit and drink it you know and we're in around about that um, having little sips here and there and stuff but you know I generally I never liked alcohol anyway cannabis was the same these sorts of things were always on the scene so you know m- my childhood was very um, eventful there was lots of things going on I was a bit of an arsonist I always had a box of matches in my pocket I just liked lighting fires um, you know if there was a bin with paper towels in it I wouldn't think anything, anything about lighting a match and and putting the bin on fire <laughs> you know so that was sort of what I, I was like um, and then as life goes on and we're all growing up you know, the crime sort of gets a little bit worse because we're getting a little bit older. And then dabbling with drugs and alcohol, you know, they're on the scene, but 
to be honest, I don't like the feeling that I get when I drink alcohol. I'm not myself, and I didn't like I didn't like that as a young boy when I, when all my friends were drinking. I remember sitting with my, with my cans of tenants lager, right, and we would go to the, the off license and we'd get the older guys to buy us six cans of lager each, and my friends would all be sitting round in the grass drinking these cans of lager, thinking that they're Billy Big Boss, right, as you do. And we'd all be lying there, and I'm sitting drinking this. I didn't like it, but I know what my friends to see that I'm not liking it. So I'm drinking it. It's like, right, I'm going for a piss. I take my can of tenants with me for my, for my piss. And I go away for my piss. And I'm pulling the can of lager as I'm doing a piss, right? And I'm going back. And I say, oh, I'll finish this one. I'm going to have another one, right? And I just didn't like, I just didn't like the feeling, but I wanted, to, I wanted to fit in. So I was always doing that. Um, same with cannabis. Very first time trying cannabis. Um, I felt like I was getting that whitey. That's what that's what we call it up north. Most of what it is where you are, but it's like a whitey where you just go white as a sheep because <laughs> you know you have a couple of puffs of this joint and something happens to your mind um, that you don't know. You can't explain it. You just feel different. A little bit like same as alcohol. It's a little bit. And I just didn't like it. Um, so I never honestly thought I was going to come up against any problems with regards to drugs and stuff. Um, at school, my mum and dad always said, you can leave school, but you go straight into a job, right? And you're going to be paying digs for day one. So I couldn't wait to leave school. Left school, got a full-time job. They hit 17, you know, got my provisional and then got my licence straight away. And I became a boy racer, driving around Edinburgh, um, nightclubs at three o'clock in the morning with my car. Tunes blaring, peeping the horn at the girls and stuff as they come out the nightclubs and stuff. And that was my life and I loved it. So, um, you know, that's what I was going to do. Um, you know, just going to be involved with cars and that sort of lifestyle and that scene, if you like. Because there was a bit of a scene back in the day in Edinburgh. And then I'm 18. And then heroin just flooded into the area into the council estate. We'd knew about heroin, Stuart. Yeah. We'd, know, we'd known people that had died as a result of heroin. You know, some of my friends, big brothers and sisters and stuff, they had died as a result. So we knew the dangers there. Um, our education as youngsters was a spoon, a needle, and a belt. Right. Maybe, maybe a ball of cotton milk. You know, visually posters and stuff and what we were taught, that was what heroin was and heroin kills. Right. So, you know, the sound advice to get through the teachers, through the parents and, you know, and anybody that's trying to educate. So that, in my mind, that was always what would kill me would be, you know, that paraphernalia, that's, that's heroin and that's a no-no and I know if I, if I do that, that'll kill me. So when heroin came into the area, you know, I've got the car, I'm still a boy racer, of course, and um, all my friends start chasing the dragon. I didn't know what chasing the dragon was. Yeah. So I went down to the, the local beach where they were all sitting in the car and I got my first flashy tinfoil, you know? And I was very uneducated, like, I seen what they were doing I knew some of them smoked cannabis and it didn't look like they were smoking cannabis because there's this tinfoil and they've got like a silver cigarette hanging out their mouth. And 
and and I was like, eventually one of my friends came out of that car and came into my car and I said, what are you doing? And, and said, chasing the dragon. And I was like, what, chasing the what? Like, I couldn't, uh, what, what's this chasing the dragon shite that you're talking about? And then he said, heroin. And I was like, no fucking way. Like, you know, these people, my friends and stuff, they had good parents, strict parents, they had good upbringings similar to myself. Um, and I just couldn't sort of believe that they were doing it. But there was no needles, there was no spoons, there was no belts. So I thought, well, quite naively, I thought, well, it can't be that bad if they're doing it. And I can't see any of these needles and stuff. So, you know, initially I'm thinking, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it. But it can't be that, that bad if they're only smoking it. So, you know, life goes on for a few weeks and stuff and they're doing it all the time. They're doing it every day. I have an argument with my mum. About, I think it was about car insurance on my car because I had a black Escort XR3 1984. Um, this this thing was minted, right? It was amazing. Now, I had an argument with my mum. I had one of them as well. Black oh, XR3. Black XR3, yeah. Love it. Love it. That's a lovely it. car. This, that was an expensive argument, isn't it, that one? If you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't the cost of the car, mate. It was the insurance. Because uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> You know, they're trying to price me off the road and I was working and I was like, Mum, I'm working. And she's like, well, you're paying for it yourself. And a big argument broke out. Yeah. And I left really, really angry, slammed the door, jumped in the car, wheel span. Yeah. <laughs> wheel span away from the, from the family house. I made it out to the yeah. beach where I knew my friends well. I knew they were taking heroin. And every day up until that point, bogey, try it. Bogey, try it. And I'm like, it smells disgusting. Like yeah. and I just the appeal's not there. Um my friends had already started started to distance themselves from me because I wasn't participating. And I didn't like that. I wanted to fit in. I've always wanted to fit in my whole life. For a young boy, um, all the way through childhood. Um I've always wanted to fit in Stuart and, and it was no different when I was eighteen and they were starting to distance themselves from me and I thought, I don't like this. Um, I'm not trying heroin but I didn't like it and then that one day angry um, I knew they were going to offer me because they'd offered me every other day I go in the car and it's like bogey try it <coughs> sorry that's uh, the postman but I was like what harm is it going to do what harm can be done so I said pass me it I said what do I do they said right this brown, this brown blob on the foil I'm going to burn it and all the smoke that comes off, you take the tube and you inhale it. Right, okay. So I've done it. Um, I waited. Right, green started sweating. It was horrible. Um, physically, it was just horrendous. I got out of the car and lay on the concrete. And an amazing thing happened. And that was that all these hang-ups that I've had about my life, my whole life, you know, as a kid, pissing myself, shitting myself, um, and people seen it and, and sort of bullying me as a result. All these traumatic things that had happened to me in my life. Um, I was ugly. I believed I was ugly. You know, my friends had girlfriends and no girls ever looked at me. So I had this internal thing that I'm ugly and that's my self-talk. I'm, you know, looking in the mirror, I've got big spots, buck teeth, my hair's horrible, everything, you know. And... 
when I took heroin for the first time, all that went away. Yeah. That was amazing. And I remember physically, like, sweating profusely everywhere, sweating in places you should, shouldn't have probably even sweat. Yeah. Um, and I was just lying on that concrete looking up. And I was just thinking, I was just in my own little world, my own little bubble. And it was amazing to not be sort of focusing on all these things, this this um, feeling of wanting to fit in. I didn't care at that point on heroin. Mm. Um, what anybody thought about me, about girls calling me ugly, didn't care. Mm. About me pissing and shitting myself, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything, I cared about here and now, and that was lying on the concrete, just in my, little, in my own little world. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I went back, this, you know, the second day and the third day and the fourth day, still pretty naive in the fact that there's still no belts, there's still no spoons. No. So, I'm not going to get addicted. Nobody's going to get addicted. Um, and the harsh reality was that all of us were going to get addicted. Some of them died. And those that are that I was taking drugs with back in are still smoking heroin and taking drugs to this day. And I'm just one of the lucky ones. Um, you know, my addiction lasted for seven years. And it didn't just stop with heroin, as it really, for, for addicts, it really does. As a heroin addict, you know, um, once I realised that I'm an addict, because I'm in denial for a lot yet, mm. when I realise when I can't get heroin and I'm feeling this cold turkey and I realise then I get the heroin and I feel how amazing it is when I take the heroin physically and mentally everything's just amazing again. I realise I'm an addict. I sort of give up on life. I think heroin addicts die. So... Um, I've signed my own death on it by becoming an addict. What an arsehole you are. What have you done? I try and hide it as much as you can to your family. Didn't let them know. But um, you're going to be in shit state for what you've done. Um, and then other drugs come out. And I'm in that frame of mind where... <coughs> crack. Oh, crack. <laughs> I'm already on heroin. Right? What, what, what difference does a wee bit of crack going to make? Magic mushrooms? Oh, give some of them. Ecstasy, amphetamine, um, <clears throat> methadone, codeine, tramadols, gabapentin, drugs. What are these drugs? I didn't even care what the drugs are. I put a tablet in my hand back then and I would swallow it. I was not even asking what it was um, because my friends were swallowing them. I would swallow them as well. And I'd sort of just given up on life. And then I was working for the first two years full time. Yeah. Taking my little bag of heroin in my sock with my tinfoil and that in my sock and going out to the toilets and chasing the dragon and working, getting a wage, able to fund it. And then after I lost my job, I go back to the street every day and I have to start funding this addiction that I've got and I have no way of doing it. My friends are out robbing and stealing. I didn't want to be that person. I was thrown a lifeline by someone that I went to school with. He came to my house with a nine bar. Big, huge block of cannabis. Big, yeah. massive thing. Yeah. Dave, I'll give you that. Um, you sell it. 
to all your pals and everybody in the neighbourhood, you give me this amount of money and the rest is yours. So for me back then, Stuart, it was like the lesser of two ev- the lesser of many evils that I seen what my friends were doing um, and I didn't want to do that. And I thought everybody's smoking cannabis anyway. Yeah. I, could be the, I could be the supplier and I could fund my heroin addiction and I could have some cannabis for myself to smoke. And so it made sense to me. So I started selling cannabis and that, that allowed me to be able to fund my heroin addiction and my Valium addiction and everything sort of was funded through me selling cannabis. Mental health sort of started to deteriorate quite rapidly. I didn't know what depression was. I knew that I was crying every day and I couldn't explain why I was crying. I know now that a lot of it was shame and guilt on my amazing family um, and what I'd done to them. Not so much even what I'd done to myself, it was what I'd done to them and the stigma in the neighbourhood. You know, it's a close-knit community. Paul's a smackhead now. Oh, what about Paul? He's a smackhead now. And work was starting to get out and um, and it destroyed me. And I relapsed 13 times. Yeah. And these times that I'm relapsing, I'm, I'm sitting, talking to my mum, begging her for £20 and saying, Mum, I promise I'll stop. This will be the last time. Give me £20 and I'll stop. And my mum would give me the £20. I'd go away and get the heroin. I'd come back to the family home, I'd go in my room, lock the door, take the heroin. And then the following day, I'd go back and ask my mum. And she'd be like, are you kidding? You're not getting any more money out of me. So then I'd go to my aunties, go to my neighbours. I'd go and beg for anybody, you know, can I get £5, £2, anything? Can I get, you know, and I'd scramble this money excuse me, <clears throat> I scrambled this money to get this £20 and then in my mind, I'm so ashamed that the night before I'm sitting crying with my mum, my mum's crying, I'm crying, I'm promising her through my heart and I meant it, Stuart, genuinely I meant it that I'm going to stop mm. and for some reason I had this inability to be able to stop taking that drug um, and that destroyed me mm. and I knew heroin's my friend Heroin takes away my pain. Heroin takes away this feeling of shame and guilt. So all I need to do is get this £20, go and get your heroin, and then you're not going to care what what happened the night before about your mum. You know that, so hurry up and get the heroin. So I would run and go and get the heroin, and i take it, and right enough, it's bliss for a little while. I'm not bothered about what my family think. I'm not bothered about what anybody thinks about me. I'm in this little bubble again. And each time... I get deeper and deeper in because I'm continuing to promise to stop and I don't able, I'm not able to do it. I was thrown another lifeline by a homeless charity in Edinburgh called Sirenians. Um, I got accepted onto that four-week course and on the fourth week of that course, we got taught about the mind and we got taught about the power of the mind. I didn't believe, I thought it was all bullshit. Yeah. This American psychologist called Lou Tice, you know, from California, I think he's from, sitting telling me about the power of the mind. Everything's a choice, you know. 
we, all about self-talk, the way we think about ourselves internally is what matters. And if we allow this negative energy in and shut up, like, really? Like, you're telling me that it's my choice that I'm a heroin addict and I can stop it. I was like, and I used to sit joking and laughing and mocking the guy as he's telling me this. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been in dark places where I'd been suicidal yeah. and it was only by sheer luck that I'm still alive. I genuinely, I was cutting my arms and that was a cry for help. Yeah. Then I had this great idea that if I committed suicide, all the pain would go away. Everything would go away. And that was an amazing thing. Yeah. I remember feeling the excitement when I realised that I'm not crying for help cutting my arms anymore. I'm actually going to take a shitload of drugs because that's the best way for me to go because I'm just a scumbag drug addict. So yeah. fill up the bowl with tablets and swallow them up and be done with it and then you'll not have to put up with any of that shit life. Um, and that was, I remember thinking, oh, this is exciting. Like, this pain's going to be over soon. Um, so I'd, I'd really hit the bottom of the, the barrel, if you like, like really struggled with, with life. And then I'm sitting with this American psychologist and he's telling me that it's a choice and everything's this and everything's that. I never took on board what he said straight away. I went back to the street and I went back to the drugs. And um, on the 14th of May, 18 years ago, yeah. I'll be 18 years off heroin. Now, the way that I'd done that was that morning I woke up I'm under eight stone. I'd had heroin the night before. I had all my tablets and all my methadone and drugs on the table that I would take. And I had a fireplace. I had a big, huge mirror above the fireplace. I lived alone in my flat in Edinburgh. And I woke up on that morning 18 years ago, almost. And something was different. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. I just knew something was different. In my heart, I'd felt that I wanted to not be a heroin addict for all this time, you know, all these relapses, and nothing had worked. This Lou Tice character was telling me about the mind, how, how influential the mind can be for a human, and, you know, and it's a choice. And it's no bullshit, it's a choice. And subconscious mind, creative subconscious mind, conscious mind, how it all works. And I'm sitting, no thinking that I'm learning about this, but it planted, the yeah. seeds were planted. Yeah. I must have been learning it, just realising I was learning it, even when I'm laughing at them. Yeah. Obviously, I'm learning about it. So, I think something's different, and I, and I know that there wasn't going to be any time taken to answer the question that I had to ask myself in my own head, Right? I put my walk up to this um, fire fireplace. I put my nose on the mirror. <clears throat> I look straight in my eyes in the mirror. Don't fucking ask for heroin ever again because you're never getting it. And I say it out loud and I say that even more aggressive than I say it there. So don't fucking ask. And I'm yeah. staring at my eyes in the mirror. No danger. No danger. The biggest fucking goosebumps all over my body, mate. I swear. They were huge. I had them on my fucking feet. I didn't even know you could get goosebumps on your feet. Right? I had these, these skimpy wee boxer shorts on because I'm, I'm under eight stone. I'm all, I'm all skin and bone. And I remember standing in the mirror. He was right. This crazy psychologist guy, he was right. 
I've just asked myself what I want and I answered instant, I didn't want to be a heroin addict. And that was it. And I knew for that moment, as strange as that will sound to a lot of people, um, I knew instantly from that moment, that morning, I will never touch heroin till the day I die. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, you can't say that, Paul, because <laughs> you, you never know, right? You never know, relapse can happen anytime. Well, I'm 18 years in, and I've never came close to relapse even once. Not even once have I came close to a relapse over those 18 years. And I've been through some shit in my life, which we'll maybe touch on in a bit, right? But yeah. people say, oh, I'm surprised you never went back on the smack. I've never even thought about it. I took the option away to ever taking heroin again in my mind that morning in that mirror. Um, you know, and it was it was an amazing thing because cold turkey hasn't set in. I know it's in the pipeline. I can feel it coming. You know, the sweats and the anxiety and the shivers and all that shit that goes with it. I knew I had this physical cold turkey stage to go through. Yeah, yeah. But in my mind, my life's no longer over. My, my, my imminent death is no longer there. That thought, that thought I'm just waiting, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna die soon, I didn't know when, I didn't know where, I didn't have that thought anymore. I start thinking, a dream, instantly, this is crazy, right? So the first thing that I sort of think about is my car. Because by this point, I've lost the car, I've lost my license and all that sort of stuff. I'm wanting to walk everywhere and get the bus everywhere. And I'm sitting there in that morning and I'm thinking, I can get a car, right? Get off the drugs, get a job, <laughs> get a car, then I can build the relationships with my family. You know, I can go on and I can find something else to do with life. And that took over my, my headspace, my mind, my thought process. And yeah, cold turkey is shit. It's horrible. Horrific for everyone. Um, and I went through it. But it was just easier than all the other times before because I understood that the, the, that control that I'm looking for the government and my friends and my, and my family to provide me to stop the drugs and to give me the knowledge to stop taking these drugs. All along, I had the knowledge. Yeah. And it all came from my mind. Yeah. I just had to tap into it and realise that I'm in control. You know, um, and I've done that, and then it was like, right, so I go through that, I start eating, I start putting the weight on, I start filling out again, everybody's starting to notice. I start forest gumping it around Edinburgh, <laughs> running everywhere, you know, I, I've got the headphones in, and I'm, I'm just running everywhere, right? When I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I'm anxious, and I, I, normally, go, I normally go to my friend who's heroin, um, I've now got a pair of running trainers there in the house so whenever I was it didn't matter what day and uh, time of night it was when I was starting to feel this draw towards um, being that sort of negative mindset and stuff running trainers on and I would go out yeah. and when I come back I'd be like that's amazing I didn't, I didn't want drugs I didn't feel like I want drugs now. I feel happy I feel you know I just feel different so I didn't know then but the fitness side it had become a new addiction yeah you know, that I was just running everywhere, force company everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And then <clears throat> I do get a job, yeah. get a car, get my life back on track, you know, um, get into recovery and I'm, everything's going along. Um, I'm driving a forklift for a supermarket. I, I'm on my, on my lunch break and flicking through. 
Arnie, be the best. I'm almost 30, right? I'm coming up to my 30th birthday, and I'm thinking, my time to ever be a soldier's been and gone, because the cut-off point's 27. Well, did I know six months prior, they changed it to 32. I didn't know. Right, yeah. Destiny, Stuart. Must have been destiny, right? So, I'm, I finished my shift driving the forklift, and I'm out in Edinburgh one day, army recruitment office. Didn't even know to this day what made me go in, to go in, because I still believed that was too old. So I went in, corporal behind the desk, sit down, right, sit down. There, young laddish, uh, shutting ties in with this pipe major in the Scots Guard, sitting in his office, right? And then he leaves and he says, right, that's you, Paul. So I go in. Back then, I never said sir, because that wasn't a done thing. But for me, I didn't know that, right? I do now, but... So I went in, uh, hello. He says, how old are you? And I said, nearly 30. He said, are you fit? I said, yeah. I said, I do the boxing, I lift weights, and I run around Edinburgh um, five, six times a week. Keep it up. I'll get you Scott Scarves. Here's some pamphlets. Show me these pamphlets of these toy soldiers, right? Toy soldier on the front. That's all they go on the day. Stand outside Buckingham Palace. That's all the day. And I was like, oh. That would be a right, that would be a change in life because I was looking for a something was missing, Stuart. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I was recovered, recovering, sorry, and you know, I'm working again in my life, and I'm thinking I didn't want to be working in a supermarket for the rest of my life. I want to do something, you know, something positive. And I, I thought, you know, that's a way to prove to myself and everybody else that doubted me in life that um, I've changed. I'm going to try it. So I took the pamphlets and I ran all the way home. <laughs> I go on Google and I put in Scots Guards and, and uh, YouTube and right enough, there's the guys outside Buckingham Palace marching with their bear skins and their tunics and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, that could be me, really? <clears throat> Excuse me. My mindset back then is very much like, it's in, like it is now. I can achieve anything that I want. So yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. You know, so I keep watching the video. And then the next thing, Afghanistan. Pew, pew, rounds coming over the guy's heads and they're ducking and stuff and they're firing. And I'm like, what? Is this another video? Is this a different regiment? Or I didn't really know anything about military side of things. And I'm thinking, and Scott Scarves. They're on the front line. And the day the, the, the toy soldier stuff. I was like, oh, wait a minute, it's getting real now. Right, right. You need to really think of, you need to think about this, right? And I was like, I sat and thinking about it. That's scary. Like, imagine imagine going over there. Imagine them handing me a, a loaded rifle and sending me over there. And, and it was like, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to try my hardest and I'm going to, I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to see just how far into basic training I can get, right? Um, I doubted myself even fitness-wise because I thought all these 18-year-old whippersnappers will run rings around me and um, turned out by the time that I got to day one basic training, um, I was one of the fittest guys there. Out of 50, out of 50 guys, young men, I came third in the first fitness test that we'd done, the mile and a half run. Like, well, this is great. Like, I'm yeah. in the top three. Look at all the rest of them. They're all blowing at the roots. Yeah. Like, they can't even stand up. They're all, be, they're all spewing the rings. They're all spewing in that. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I was like, right. And I got a lot of respect for the officers and the sergeant majors and the sergeants and stuff because of that. And they all knew about my heroin past. Wow. So they were sort of all fascinated about my, my drug life and how, you know, here's this, here's this um, old granddad um, ex-smackhead for the East Coast coming to try, try and join one of the finest regiments in the world, the Scots Guards. And they found that quite um, yeah. funny, yeah. right? And it's fine. It's like, you can laugh away, right? It's fine. Like, I find, I, I find it amusing. Don't worry. I find it amusing as well. I'm going to prove you so wrong. <clears throat> so I had that mindset. That I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And I do the basic training for seven months. I pass it. And then I'm all the family doing cataract. I get sent to um, London for nine months, Windsor Castle, Buckingham Palace, St. James's Palace, Tower of London. I've done the keys. Oh, yeah. who goes there? The keys. Whose keys? Queen Elizabeth's keys. Right? I've done that. I was that guy, that Scottish guy doing their bellowing that out with all yeah. the cameras and that. Right? So it was just a, an amazing time in my life. Yeah. Um, and I totally changed for this person who had given up you know, it was on the drugs, mental health was on its knees and didn't want to be here anymore. To then being down there with my, my tunic and my bearskin and my rifle and, and I'd been a trained soldier and I was like, right. So I got sent back to Cataract. I start my pre-deployment training to go on my first tour of Afghanistan. The date comes in. We start all the training. We're going, I'm going home from Cataract to Edinburgh every weekend, having a few pints with my friends and stuff, this new guy. Yeah. You know, that's reinvented himself. You know, all these people that spat on me and looked in their noses at me, I'm walking into the pub, like, built like a brick shithouse, you know, yeah. um, this soldier, and it's like, wow, is that, that's no Paul Wogie, is it? Like, yeah. I, I is, I is. You're a soldier now? I am, I. Yeah. Okay, so it was like, it was like yeah. this amazing transformation. Um, driving back down to Cataract, my car had broken down, so I got a lift with my army friend. I'm in the front passenger seat. My Fijian friend is sitting behind me. They didn't wear seatbelts in Fiji. I'll just say that now, right? This is the excuse that I got. 70 miles an hour. Crash the car. Passed an autobahn on the way to Newcastle. I break my back. I crush my spine. I end up in a ditch and all smashed up. The driver walked away. Fijian, never had the seatbelt on. What had happened, Stuart, was um, when we hit a boulder at the side of the road, that broke my back. We were still travelling at speed. Once we left the road, him and all his weight thrown into the back of my chair in the front seat, yeah. threw the chair forward, and that crushed my spine. Right. Um, yeah. So they walked away, and I'm lying there. Um, I get taken to Newcastle. I'm in there for... Um, four weeks in hospital for four weeks unstable my back's unstable um, I'm waiting for a, a, a brace specifically get made for me so I can get shipped back home excuse me so I can get shipped back home um, still very much same to the officers and stuff I'm still going to Afghanistan with my pals so I'm, and they're like bogey just concentrate on your recovery just get better but I'm still going so I don't I'm still going, I'll get better, I'm going to get better. Yeah. 
Like, and I believe that in that two month period, that I'm going to, I'm going to still make it. Like, it's just stupid to even think that that was going to happen. But what happened from that day? I go back to the army, do all my rehabilitation. I get put in the stores and then I get put dealing with maps. I'm a glorified tea, Jenny, making the officers cups of tea. What do you want to drink, sir? Tea or coffee? Uh, coffee, guardsman bogey. Oh, <clears throat> there you go, sir. And that was my life. Um, can't do anything. Bogey can't do anything. He's got a duff back. You need to do it. They spoke about medical discharge. Didn't want to, but I've realised I'm not going to be able to soldier on and, and be with my friends and stuff. So um, we'll go for the medical discharge. From the day of the accident, the army doctors and the civilian doctors, spinal specialists, um, put me on Cody. Right. And Tramadol. Right. It's in my military records. Yeah. Once upon a time, I was a heroin addict. Yeah. Um, and a codeine addict. So I'm addicted to these drugs that they're just about to put me on. They say, Paul, we are apprehensive. We know about your drug pass. And I'm like, look, ma'am, I'm in a different place. I'm in my mind. I'm still a soldier. I'm still having to shave every morning, put an army uniform on, put my Scots Guards berry, look at myself in the mirror, even with my, my, my back the way it is. I'm in a different place. I'll be fine. And that was fine for so long. But then when I got medically discharged in 2015 and sent back to Edinburgh into this little prison or flat that I used to take heroin in, and I'm left with these drugs, albeit from the doctor. Yeah. My ability to self-talk in a positive way starts to dwindle and I become bitter and I become twisted, become jealous. Yeah. I become sort of just withdrawn again. And I know, I know if you take eight codeine and four tramadol all in one go, I know what happens. None of this shit about why the fuck is my military career over and they've walked away. They're in Africa getting pictures taken with elephants and cheetahs and getting promoted. It's meant to be me getting promoted. Why, why, why? And this is a constant battle in my head that I was having every day. Why has it happened to me? Is it because I used to be a heroin addict? I'm being punished. Right, well, I fucking had enough of this. Give me these tablets. Yeah. So I'd sit and pop these tablets, swallow them all in one go. 20 minutes later, I'm sitting in my chair, wasted, in my wee bubble again. Yeah. Start smoking cannabis again, you know, um, and physically, um, everything starts to take its toll again. I'm starting to look a bit grey again. Losing weight, look a little bit gone. My moods are all over, all over the place. Um, I'm sort of struggling a little bit in life and trying to make sense of what, who I am and what, what I'm supposed to be doing then. Because I, I changed my life and I'd seen a future in the army and I loved it and it's been taken away. So, you know, just that whole negative aspect. <clears throat> I moved from Edinburgh to Fife a few years ago and with my wife and my stepdaughter. So we moved to Fife. My wife comes in very beginning of the lockdown. She says, Paul, you're going to be locked up for a couple of weeks because there's this virus that's kicking around, this coronavirus. And I'm like, what? Like two weeks? I says, do you know what? I could maybe write this book 
yeah. that's been in the making for so long. The way the book came around, Stuart, was a drug counsellor back early on said, write down how you feel. Yeah, yeah. See if it, see if it helps. Yeah. Burn the paper if you want. Yeah. I kept the bits of the paper. I kept everything that I'd written. And then in the army, when I was in the army, telling all the guys, 40, 50 guys, that tell us about being on the smack bogey. I'd be yeah. like, right, well, you know, this is it. You know, the come over and say, bogey, you should write a book about your life, mate. You should write a right. So I was like, funny you should say that. I've sort of done bits of writing. So I've done some writing whilst I was in the army. Yeah. Um, adventure training in Canada and going skiing to France and stuff. So I was doing a little bits of writing um, to have this book. And I thought, title. When I go to Afghanistan and I come back, heroin to hero, that'll be a good title for the book. So that was my, my thought process. Obviously the accident, medical discharge, my mindset, can it be that? Can it be hero to hero? There can it be a book, right? Because I've not done the things that I wanted to do, so there's not going to be a book. So beginning of lockdown, the wife comes and says, right, you're going to be there for two weeks. And I was thinking, right, might as well, you know, if I'm going to be locked up. So I got all the paperwork out. I sat for three days, three nights, and that chain over there... There and I wrote is. this amazing book, right? There it is. Now, I'm, going to, I'm going to explain to you why I kept the title. Yeah. Because um, that is important for people to understand because they see the word hero. Um, I don't think of myself as a hero. I don't think I ever will. Um, the, that title came to me whilst I was in the army. And, yeah. you know, when I'm writing the book, I'm on all these tablets, I'm sitting smoking cannabis, I'm wallowing in self-pity, um, very negative mindset. I'm sitting writing this, and I'm sitting talking about um, my time on heroin and this course. And as I'm writing about the mind, I'm reliving everything as I'm writing it. I'm crying a lot, right, about things that happened and stuff, right? So I'm sitting writing it. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I'm writing this book and stuff, and it's like, reliving and I'm getting to that moment in the mirror when I'm, I'm, I'm writing it and I'm reliving that feeling and I've got goosebumps again as I'm writing the book. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, wait a fucking minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What the fuck are you playing at? How bitter are you now? You know, myself talk, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself in my own head. How fucking bitter are you? Like, right. You know, what's happened, happened. Are you going to live the rest of your life being fucking miserable and hating everybody? Right? Because of what's happened to you. Is that what you're going to do? Because that's bullshit and you're, that's not happening. You're changing it. So, straight for that moment, writing this book, I was like, right, right, right. I've got a crushed spine, so I didn't know if I'm going to be able to come off the, off the drugs, off the prescription drugs. I didn't know. Never told anyone. Finished the book. Uploaded it. I was sitting listening to Tom Walker. I'd never heard the, the guy singing before. I thought, he's got a, a nice voice, so I'm listening to him. Leave a Light On comes on. That song, Leave a Light On, by Tom Walker, right? So I'm sitting listening to it on repeat. I'm thinking, right, what am I going to do? What am I going to do in my life? Right, I've got, I hold the power, I have the choice. What do, you, what do you want to do? So I'm sitting listening to that song, and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to leave a light on. That's first and foremost. I'm going to leave my light on. For all these people out there that think because they're an addict that their life is over, like what I've done. 
I'm going to prove to all these people that there is life after addiction. That's what I'm going to do. Right. That's going to be right. I'm going to give up every single penny in this book. That's what I'm going to do. And as soon as I thought about it, it made sense. It felt right as soon as I had that thought. Aye, that's what we do. So not only is the book going to help addicts all across the world, every single copy of the book that you made, that, 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 that gets sold, if you give all the money to help these homeless people in Scotland, you know, and that was that was where it all started for me. You know, I'm at 12 grand so far, all on my own. You know, I've not got a publisher. I didn't have marketing team and stuff. Just me on Facebook trying to sell my book. So yeah. 12 grand so far. It is amazing, but I've got big plans, which I'm sure you'll yeah. not be surprised. Right, yeah, I've yeah. got huge plans. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, that is, I don't know how long we've been on, but <laughs> that's Paul Rogan. That's what I'm about. You know, yeah. I'm visiting... I'm visiting schools yeah, and yeah. prisons. And I had a, I done a live video last night, Stuart, to explain to people about Paul Bogey and where Heroin to Hero came from. Yeah. What, what I hope people take from it, which yeah. there is life after addiction, we can recover, change is possible. Yeah. You know? And on a personal level, what it means to me, it gave me the ability. I'm over two years now, drug free. I don't take paracetamol. Nothing. I sit here right now in front of you, chatting with you, and a lot of physical pain because my back is guffed, right? And I've still got a smile on my face. Um, And that's through this re-engagement with my mind and the self-talk and thinking, right, you know, I can't do anything about books are fine, Stuart. So I'm not going to spend the rest of my life sort of wallowing in self-pity about this bad back that I've got. Um, I'm just going to make the mess of it. And that's my choice. So... The, the things that I'm doing now, the, the visiting the schools, visiting the prisons, I've got the Edinburgh Play Fringe coming up, I've got a documentary making, I've got a second book on the way. All these things, these thousands of hours I've done on Facebook, these podcasts that I've done all across the world, 44 of them, yeah. Florida, the Bronx, New York, um, Ohio, done them everywhere. Essex <laughs> Essex all across the UK mate all across the UK Wales and you know it's amazing right and all of that is only possible because of the book because of what the book gave me on a personal level because when I'm writing about that time in the mirror and I'm re-educating myself I'm re-learning about that time and how I managed to break my head on addiction and applied it to my life as I was sitting there wallowing in self-pity and changed it again for a second time and managed to actually get off all the drugs, which was an absolute dream. I never thought it was possible, to be honest. Um, you know, and it is, and it was possible, and I'm two years now, and it's like, so everything positive that I'm doing, I've, I thank this book, yeah. right? And I hope that other people that read the book, well, no, because I get a lot of feedback, positive yeah. feedback. Um, you know, that's just, yeah. Sorry, I talk for Scotland. I know you. <laughs> My turn. Yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. you why. It's been, so, it's been so hard all the way through um, to not pipe up because I wanted to pipe up so many times because so many things resonated with me. Um, and I'm going to go right the way back to when you said about that first hit of heroin. And when people think, 
that alcoholism isn't as bad as heroin addiction, they're so wrong because that I went cold. When you explain that feeling, unfortunately for me, the, my first my first um, thing of being drunk, getting served in a pub, and that feeling of what you got of not giving a fuck, making you feel ten feet tall, all of that. I got that from drink. So I had the same drink had the same effect on me as that heroin did on you. Um, I would have thought at certain times in my life that I was okay because at least I didn't take heroin, right? That old stuff. But the the reality is that when I was out of my nut on drink, if I was out of my nut on cocaine, if someone had offered me to trace the dragon, I would have done it. You know. If there was times when I've done, I've done things that I really regret that I would never do sober. So there's, you know, that would be one of them. There's no way it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't have happened. Um, and I love, and the thing is that title, Paul, that title couldn't be more appropriate because us in the know <laughs> know that I know you say you're not a hero. I know I'm a hero. I know you're a hero because it takes a hero to change that much and to stay changed. Um, we can't say it about ourselves, you know, but I just know it's, I've done it, so I must be. You've done it, so you must be, because I know when I see it and when I listen to your story, I know what hero that is. Because not only did you overcome, that the hard thing is to overcome the first time. You know, that's a heroic story. But to then have that setback, you know, and then overcome that, people often, apart if you're not a hero, you're not going to get over that second setback. It's going to take you back and you're going to stay there. It takes a hero's mentality and heart to then do that again, you know. And we're never at our worst until something's been taken away. Um, I've worked with, you know, Anthony Agogo, the boxer, was a great example, you know, that is, is how, he, how low he felt. And I really admire him so much. And he's gone into, he's gone into wrestling now, you know. He had to, you know, uh, but he had that time straight after when I was speaking to him um, uh, that, that you, you, you almost, you lose your identity. You're not what you are anymore. You would become that soldier and you wasn't a soldier anymore, you know. Um, and that's a, that's a massive thing to overcome. So I sincerely hope that everyone buys the book. I'm buying it as soon as I get online, you know. Um, everyone needs to buy it. There, there will be a publisher. This is how this shit works. There will be a publisher at some point, watch one of these. They will go, that's got to be published, you know. Um, and then everything else you do with your determination, will succeed, mate. And the ones that don't, you'll move past them and you'll carry on. So that's, you, my, that's my bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I appreciate that. You know, and that's... Yeah, I'll be no surprise to you, I don't think, but um, I do believe that as well. Like, yeah. I do believe in destiny and I believe that the shit that I went through in my life, I am now... It wasn't all for nothing. No, it never is. You know, you know it's like if, if I can help give other people inspiration and hope to 
to face their demons and change their lives in a, in a positive way, then it's not for nothing. And it's a nice feeling. It's, it's a nice feeling that I have in my, in my mind every day now. You know, when I open my eyes, yeah, I mean, the physical side there, you know, it's just one part of it. But my mindset now is just amazing. And it makes me smile every day. It makes me laugh every day. It makes me happy every day. And I just love it. It's just, I've had to learn patience. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's been difficult because from day one, I thought, right, you know, this book is, I'm, I'm going to raise, I'm going to raise a quarter of a million pound in the first six months. Yeah. Well, I believed it. Right? Even without a publisher, I didn't I have any knowledge or anything, right? But I had this belief in myself, right? Come on, let's do it. And then it's been a bit of a roller coaster on social media and stuff because I've struggled. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, you know, in recent months, probably the last year, things have really started to come good. Other people have started to see the benefit the benefit of my story, the benefit of me going to schools and prisons and trying to help. And other people are starting to come to me and see the benefit of me. You yourself reaching out to have me on your podcast. Yeah. You obviously believe in me to want to share my story. So I really do appreciate it. But I do, um, without sounding too big-headed, um, I genuinely do believe in myself. And that's a nice feeling for me. You know, um, as, a, as a recovering addict, it's a nice feeling to feel have that feeling of um, I'm doing good in this world. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's oh, I want it just to do good. So, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this, uh, this is another addiction, you know? And if people think that we're uh, selfless when we do the things we do, we're not, because we get so much from it. Um, so Yeah. It's a win-win, isn't it? It it's is a win-win. For all of us, for everyone. Yeah. Well, Paul, I'm so grateful that I saw your story instantly I picked up I thought I've got to, I've got to know this and I've got to share this so um, so glad that I did got a lot you know you brought a smile on my face today and it ain't been a great week but you've really brought a smile on my face and this is how this shit works isn't it so um, thanks for that yeah incredible and I um, you know everyone out there buy the fucking book <laughs> don't click like Click buy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. What we'll say, um, just for anybody out there that is struggling financially or not sure if they're going to enjoy the book or not, when I was in the prison, I went into Perth prison and I got the inmates to amazingly read this. So there's an audio book. Right. If you've got Prime, I shouldn't say this, but it's free. Right. There you go. Shoot yourself in the foot. I'm always doing that. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say that, but you just you said know. the biggest essential bit is the money will come. The essential bit is the story. So the, the story, the message has got to get out there. Uh, the rest of the stuff comes anyway, so um, I'm sure it will. Like, um, but thank you so much for your time today. Um, and uh, yeah, like we really will keep in touch. I know that. And yeah, well, I feel yeah. Definitely yeah, face to face at some point. Yeah, well, if you're ever up in Scotland and you've got to come up to Edinburgh, yeah. um, and I will, I will say as well, we're, we're planning on putting the play on um, down in London. Right. So I don't know that'll be that'll be closer to you than what Scott than what Edinburgh is. 
Yeah. So, Definitely. who knows? Yeah. Is, are there any theatres in Essex? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots. Well, you, you just never know, Stuart. You know, yeah, yeah, I could yeah. be in a, I could be in a theatre close to you one I'll day soon. So, I'll be in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. See you again. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.